Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, Friday, October 22nd. The news still fresh this morning. Joseph Ngata out for the Pittsburgh game because of COVID. The hits just keep coming from this offense for this offense. Can't seem to catch a break. Much more on that and all the other stuff surrounding this football team right now at TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parham Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, to our conversation with Harold Dutch Coleman. This is a good one. Enjoy. Okay, joined by my good friend Harold Dutch Coleman. Man, great to hear your voice, Harold. I appreciate it. Likewise, man. You know, we we talk every now and then, but not as often as we used to. So it's always good to hear your voice. My one of my greatest accomplishments of the last couple of years is I've learned how to focus, and that my focus is severely diminished when I spend much time on social media. Uh, but the one drawback of that, uh, of not scrolling regularly through my feeds, is I don't get to keep up with with the, with loved ones and, and, and friends and people I'm interested in. And so I part of this conversation is just to catch up on your doings. I know that uh, y'all moved to Chapel Hill from from Milwaukee, and um, because your your wife joined the Tar Heels women's basketball staff and i know <laughs> you were tremendously uh excited about being able to not just get back down south to a real college town but also to get that crap away from the frigid just miserable winters up there yeah it, it, it it's a it's a different type of thing up there now don't get me wrong the city of milwaukee is amazing yeah especially for your Southern folks who love sports towns, because you have the NBA, you have major league baseball, you have every type of um, um, college up there, you know, uh, all the mid-major colleges, you have the university of Wisconsin down the road. I mean, 
Green Bay Packers are right up the road. So you have a lot of stuff going on there. So it's an amazing city. You got the lake right there. But it was for me personally, the winter was a challenge, but it is an amazing city otherwise. Yeah, and I, I certainly didn't want to totally trash the place. I was speaking mainly in terms of the of the temperature uh, in the winter, but even like uh, a number of bands that that I that I like uh, that are you know touring bands uh, and have been for years and years. They love playing Milwaukee just because there just seems to be a different vibe there for whatever mm-hmm. reason and and it sounds like you picked up on that too just sort of the 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 coolness of the place in 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 many ways uh figuratively i guess or i guess yeah. and literally <laughs> <laughs> absolutely if i if i had a chance to to go there like as a as a student athlete uh to to marquette or something like that i think it would be amazing because it's right there in in the middle of milwaukee so you're getting the best of everything right there you're surrounded by it uh now post life, you know, I will probably uh, move to a warmer climate. So I always try to tell the difference there because you were missing out if you if you do have an opportunity to go to to uh, to Milwaukee as a as a college athlete. I think it's a great experience. The food choices there, just the culture and stuff like that is, is great. But again, we're a little older now. You know, th- those things like weather really matter. <laughs> How long were y'all up there? One year. Okay. And, and I remember talking... I guess last winter talking to you, texting with you, whatever. And you were just saying you, it's just, you know, we, we know that people from everywhere else, we know that it's really cold, but you were just talking about how, how the impact of it, of, of having to be holed up in your house and, and it's just a different kind of cold up there just and how it affects your, your psyche, I guess. And then I guess you combine a pandemic with that and it's just difficult, kind of a hard thing to get through. Yes. It, it, and I, and I do put some of that on the pandemic, as you mentioned, but, and I, and I'm speaking mainly because I, I think a lot of the audience that that's going to hear this is from the South. It is completely different than anything that you've ever seen, or this is the tough part that you can even imagine it is cold. <laughs> so like, I mean, are you, what is it like community wise, like with neighbors and things like that? I mean, during the worst parts of it. Uh, you know, they're fine. I mean, a lot of them are fine. I did, I did hear some of the, I just say natives complaining about the cold, but for the most part, they're completely fine. And they even called. So one day I'm out and I'm, I'm going to get some gas for my, my truck and my temperature gauge said minus 15. <laughs> and, and we're used to in the South saying, Oh, well the wind chill is minus four. Or the wind chill is, is going to be minus six or, but you know, actually it's maybe 12 degrees or you know, that one of the coldest days ever, but you know, it's 10 degrees is eight, you know, the actual temperature was minus 15. So the, the field temperature feels like can be in the minus twenties, minus 30. And so when the first time it really, really hit me was when I saw that negative 15 and I didn't even know there was a negative sign, you know, on that gauge. (laughs) Are you serious right now? It's really that cold. And for people that think they can imagine that you can't. And and so when you combine that with the pandemic, it did limit things. You did stay in the house even more than normal because if if it had not been for the pandemic, we would have actually spent more time outside in that cold. Right. 
So how did the opportunity uh, with with North Carolina come about uh, with, with the Toro? That's nothing new. Every single year, she gets a barrage of offers, and it's going to happen after this first year at North Carolina. You know, and I'm going to be honest with you, it happened after the first two weeks at North Carolina. Wow. She is, um, you know, she's in high demand. We were literally having conversations like, hey, hey, we just got here. We've only been here a couple of weeks, you know, and that's a great problem to have. You know, when you're in demand, she has a very good name in the business. She, she's kept her name clean. Um, she really, you know, takes pride in that. Um, she's she's uh, if some if she works for someone in any capacity, they're going to get the hardest working person ever. She's very knowledgeable about the game. So she's a great great asset to any program. So after this year, it's the same thing's going to happen. You may say, Hey, and, and I'm not putting this out there like we're leaving, but you, you've known me and you've seen how we move sometimes, it, you know, it, it could happen. It, 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 it's just the nature of the beast. So um, while we're happy um, and you know, this location where we are, the kids love it. The reality is in this business, you sometimes you pick up and you go. And, and and so this was unlike this was this was like most years, you know, I can name the major schools that came after her, you know, um, in this cycle. And you would be like, wow, that that's a great problem to have. So it, it, it was it was typical. And, and we just ended up uh, moving. And were you telling me that right after she'd accepted the Marquette job is when Chapel Hill came calling initially and she felt she couldn't go back on her word with Marquette at the time. Is that, is that, am I, no. am I saying that right? No, no, I'm saying that she took the North Carolina job here recently, the most recent job, the North Carolina job. And two weeks later, she was still getting calls. No, I know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, I thought I remember you telling me after y'all got to uh, Milwaukee well, yeah, yeah. that she had already sort of verbally, I, I could be getting this wrong, but she had verbally accepted the, Marquette job when North Carolina called like a, the first time and she, uh, re- I guess, reluctantly said, I'm sorry, but I've already committed to, to Marquette. Or maybe I, maybe I got that wrong. Uh, it was, it was, the situation is correct, but the school, the school is, is I see. wrong. I see. Gotcha. <laughs> what, what's it? So y'all were at Penn State before and, um, what is it like? And now you're already talking about, hey, y'all, y'all could be up and up and gone again. First of all, refresh me and the listeners on on how many kids y'all have, and, so the, have and the ages. So we have a 17 year old. She's a 12th grader. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have so we have 12th grade, sixth grade girl. So okay, let me start over. 12th grade girl, sixth grade girl, fifth grade girl, fourth grade boy. Wow, how do y'all do that? As far as the bouncing around and, and is it something that your kids view as something fun and a challenge or, or fun while also being a challenge or is it, is it, is it difficult? It is everything. It's all of the above. It's, it's everything you said. My, my 12th grader has had it the roughest because she's, she was at a school in the ninth and 10th grade. Then she went to a different school at 11th grade. Now she's going to a different school for the 12th grade. Um, and so she has it now she's picked up playing basketball. It's a bigger problem because she has to reestablish herself down South as a basketball player. When up in the Midwest and up in the parts of PA, you know, people are interested in her, but now she doesn't really have an interest to go 
back to Wisconsin to play basketball where they've seen her. So now she has to come down here in her 12th grade year, reestablish herself and hope that there are scholarship opportunities in, in this region um, after she, you know, gains more visibility on the circuit down here. So it's been, it's been tough for her, but I think, I think she'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Now my, my little ones is more, they're more emotional about it because they, they're great friends. They're really good kids. They're everybody's best friend. So when they leave, I mean, there's a big display at the school. Kids are crying. Mm. And I'm just sitting there like, goodness gracious. The last one was particularly hard. Um, but I'm sitting there. I, I show up on the last day of school, and and there's this big scene outside the school, and everyone's crying. And, there, and I'm just like, what in the heck is going on? The teachers are upset. And and I'm just like, wow, this is. And so you got to kind of talk them off the ledge and talk to them about the opportunities to make new friends in a new state and, and you know, all, how they, their experiences have allowed them to be able to have friends all over the country. They use their devices to keep in touch with their friends all over the country. And, and I kind of put a positive spin in that way. So, um, and, and then they're, they're all really good in sports. So their teams are devastated when they leave because they're usually the central figure on those teams. And, and they're like, Oh my God, we're losing Dutch. And Dutch is just amazing. Um, athlete and and they're oh my god we're gonna lose him and the coaches are like hey can we get you guys to stay we need we need <laughs> that here we need jasmine here we need and so it can it kinds of being you know ends up being kind of fun and funny but also you know very emotional it has to be something where long term through the rest of their life it's going to be a positive in the form of allowing them to be really comfortable within their own skin and 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 you know, meeting new people and, and interacting and things like that. Do you view it that way that, that, that it's going to ultimately be really beneficial for them just having such a diverse um, wealth of, of experiences and in, in coming into new situations on a fairly regular basis and having to sort of introduce yourself and ingratiate yourself to, you know, to whole new social circles? Absolutely. The resilience that's required. Um, I went to, in my 12 years, I went to 11 different schools. So I think while that was horrible in a sense, it was also great in a sense. The the circumstances in which I moved is completely different from the circumstances in which they moved, but it's still that same having to pick up and go and make new friends and, 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 and adjust and adapt really, really quickly. So they're, they're getting some of that stuff. And, uh, and I, and I always joke with, um, the, the, the ones that I have that are really serious in sports, right? Um, cause three out of the four, they, they claim to be really serious about this sports thing. And, and I always say, well, you're going to have a lot of people in a lot of different States that know who you are whenever you burst onto the scene, so to speak. And it's not just going to be a local thing. You're going to have people rooting for you in multiple States. I, you know, I just try to put a, put a different spin on it because kids, you know, they need to have some level of understanding to be okay with with all the change that's happening. So are you pretty much Mr. Mom? Is that, is that what you are and have been? Uh, Look, it ends up being that way. I, uh, I was um, right to probably the mid midway through the pandemic. I was working for a company out of Indianapolis and I worked from home. I probably went into, into the office in Indianapolis, probably um, maybe once a month. Um, and I did go and live there for six months to kind of immerse myself into the, into the business and stuff. So I lived in downtown Indianapolis for six months. This was prior to the pandemic. And, uh, so I had a little apartment downtown. Imagine that. 
and um and I just lived there for six months and I would come home, you know, every other weekend. And and so then I I worked I did that and then when I came home I did have a flexible schedule, so I was able to support Etora as her being a you know, division one basketball coach, how crazy that is. And and now since the pandemic, I've been working independently on projects. I have a buddy of mine, a, a Clemson grad. We've been working on something um, that I think that has an opportunity to be pretty, pretty big. And I've been doing a lot of different, different other um, things in the market and, and, and dab, you know, dabbling in a couple other things here and there. So I, I, I'm largely the person that's flexible enough in the house to be able to get up and go somewhere, have to do something with the kids. When you're staying in Indianapolis, for long periods, how does how did that work with the Toro juggling four kids and doing the normal? We had a friend. We had a, a very close family friend um, that was basically like family. She really helped out during that period, um, and and so without without her, it would have been impossible. Much like Clemson, you know, we had a we had a couple of really good um, family friends that ended up helping us big time in, in Clemson. We had, and, and some of the people, some, uh, some of the guys might know they're listening. Um, um, Epi, Epi was a really, really, uh, critical worker with the, with the football team at one point. And she helped us, um, big time with our family. And, um, and Keisha's another young lady, um, that may even hear this broadcast. She was really critical in helping, helping our family kind of, you know, be able to do those things while I was moving around, while Etoro was moving around and Miss Cynthia, like there's been different people in the Clemson area. So we found, we have to find people in the community to be able to help us with the type of life we have, with the movement that I have and, and, and the movement that Etoro has, but I get to spend a lot of time around them. Um, but in the times where I do have to get out of town for something, you know, we have, we've been blessed with, with, uh, with some great people in our lives. You know, your experience, your family's experience uh, uh, as a, a family of a, of, a, of, a, of a college coach is probably way more representative of the typical experience uh, of, of a coaching family. I know, you know, here at Clemson, um, you know, you just sort of get used to something that is abnormal and and I'm speaking of Clemson's football assistant coaches, like they've all been here like for long periods of time and have raised their families here. And that's just not normal. The, the, the norm is more move at least once every three years, right. And uproot Mm -hmm. everything. And, 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 and it's just constant or, or I guess regular disruption. Whereas I'm thinking of, you know, Tony Elliott, uh, Danny Pierman, the Venables, uh, the Streeters, all those families and more, uh, they've been able to benefit from super rare, um, you know, I guess, retention. Like for, like, there's a better yeah. word, but, but that, it's pretty amazing when you think about it compared to the normal life of a, of, of a coach's family. You're absolutely correct on that. I mean, that's a very unique situation there, and uh, and I think it it, it helps some people. Uh, the first sign of trouble, people talk about how bad that is, but when everything's going well, they talk about how great that continuity <laughs> is. You know, it's so, <laughs> so true and so funny. 
But yeah, that that's they definitely have a unique situation and and um you know, I would have loved to have been a part of something like that. But when you're doing what you're doing, I can also appreciate the way we've done it because like you said there's going to be some really really good attributes that come from this sort of lifestyle for my kids. I see some of it already. They're very strong. Um, like I said, they're very good socially. They can make friends in an instant. They smile. They're, they're really, really good friends. I'm, that's the biggest thing I love about them is that they love people and they, and they're just really great friends. And uh, so I think that's one of the things that they had to kind of be and to do in order to adapt. Um, you know, the typical Clemson person, when the name Chapel Hill in North Carolina comes up, it's like, ooh, you're you're with those people. But is it a, so much different when you're uh, in a coaching family? It's so much more. It's a profession, and it's what you do for a living. And so I'm I'm guessing that there wasn't that typical Clemson. Oh, we got to go to Chapel Hill. It was more, hey, sweet, we get to go to a cool college town and and coach for a pretty decorated program. Is that closer to what it was? Well, it, it was it was it was really weird. So now Etora, if, if people don't know Etora, when she played at Clemson, they played in the ACC championship game all four years mm-hmm. in the ACC tournament, and all four games were against North Carolina. Wow. So North Carolina is like a in her in her class is like a hated rivalry. So you're talking about her going to play for the bad guys yeah. in, in, in essence. Right. So, and, and by the way, Clemson won two of those tournament championships <laughs> and they lost two of them just, just for the record, because I, I don't, they haven't been back to a championship game and they had never gone to a championship game prior to Etoro. So I'm mm-hmm. proud of that. Um, but, but yeah, so it was, it was kind of one of those enemy type things. Um, but Etoro was fine with it. She's a, she's a professional. Now, some of her, former teammates or some are, you know, Clemson friends and fans, they may not have been okay with it, which <laughs> I, you know, me, I don't care one bit. Um, you know, while this is real life, this is not real life. You know, we live a charmed life. You know, this is amazing. Someone asked me when I was doing radio, um, would I let my daughter play basketball at South Carolina? And I just thought that was like the dumbest <laughs> thought, not the question, but, the the moment you were forming the question in your head, it was already <laughs> dumb, right? Like you, prior to the question, that's like the dumbest thing ever for you to think. <laughs> would you let your, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so obviously, I said respectfully, yes, I would. First of all, it would be her choice. That's the first thing. It's her choice. Secondly, if you have a child and someone's trying to pay for your child to to go to school. I mean, come on, like they think highly enough or they think enough for your child to say, we want to pay for their school. We want them to come play for us. All that nonsense is, is out the window. You know, this is fun. Hate. This isn't real hate. I don't really hate the university of South Carolina and their people. I, I during football season, I hate their fans, but that's not real hate. <laughs> that's not like if, if they broke down on the side of the road, I'd, I'd laugh and point and keep driving. I don't, I don't, enjoy when their student athletes get into trouble. I don't enjoy when, but now I enjoy when they go, Oh, and Oh, and 12, I enjoy the heck out of that. You know what I mean? Now I want them to go Oh, and 12 every year. I would love it if they went Oh, and 12, you know, every single year. I, I, oh my God, life would be so great. But 
it's not real hate. <laughs> yeah, it's like, so, uh, yeah, on top of all the, you know, free education and all that. Oh, and by, oh, by the way, your daughter has an opportunity, a hypothetical opportunity to play for one of the most decorated coaches in the game. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, and, Don, and Don has, Don has known Jada, um, speaking of my oldest, um, since she was a baby mm. and she's seen her out on the circuit. And even though Jada didn't play basketball until middle school, until late, like late, you know, 12 and a half, 13 years old, you know, they, all the coaches were familiar with her. I mean, I'm in a workout a few weeks ago and this is how public my, our life is. I'm in a workout and one of the kids, one of the guys in there has, is having his son trained and I'm in there and the guy introduces himself and I introduce myself and he says, Oh wait, I, I know you. I was there when you proposed to your wife back in San Jose years ago. And I remember your daughter, is that her over there? You know, I remember seeing her and it's like, you're connected in all kind of ways. So for you to, to, to dislike an actual school or actual people because they're associated with schools like this, the connection is much bigger than, you know, these, these brands and, um, you know, that we see and these people are allowed to like dislike each other and all that stuff. It's, it's much bigger than that. I had a, a friend of mine, an old uh, family friend uh, who I grew up with in Columbia <clears throat> and his family, huge Gamecock fans. He's always been a Gamecock fan his whole life. And uh, for the, I want to say it was the Georgia Tech game. Which one was had the delay? I get yeah, it was the Georgia Tech game, the lightning delay. Um, I got a text from him during the delay. He said, "Hey, I've I've brought my my two boys up here for the game, and uh, just seeing what you're up to." And I wasn't able to connect with him in person just because I was I was working, but I talked with him a few days later, and he said that he had some some friends of his were hardcore Clemson fans and they do it up every weekend for, uh, for home games. They have a super cool tailgate near the stadium. And so they had invited them, my friend and his, and his boys to come up and he goes, okay, yeah, I've, I've always, he had never been here for a, for a game day. And he wanted his, he wanted his boys to check it out and he wanted to check it out. And he, he told me he would probably, I'm not saying his name because he, he probably wouldn't, uh, he probably wouldn't own up to it if I did to, to, to his Gamecock friends, if I did, if, if I did name him, but he said, Larry, he said, I, he said, what a, what a wonderful place, um, a campus and, and just the way they do college football game days. He said, I found myself thinking I've been doing it wrong <laughs> my whole life. Like I should have, I should have gone to Clemson, you know, and, and, you know, that's just an example of, and there are redeeming parts of, of the South Carolina side too, but I'm just saying it's just an example of what you're talking about. Like, yeah, you have these tribal urges to hate the enemy and all this other stuff, but really the the most important part and I think the most enduring part is we're you know, you're still humans. You're still neighbors with a lot of these people, you know, and especially right. in, in a in a state as small as this, you're friends with most of these people. You're intermingling right. and so uh, I thought that was pretty uh, a pretty cool sort of uh, revelation or acknowledgement. Yeah, it, it it needs to be it needs to be more fun attached. Like I need to be able to to love people while also saying that I've never seen one redeeming thing about South Carolina as a university. Right. right? I need to be able to just to honestly say, actually, I haven't. Like, I, there's no way I would ever say anything <laughs> positive about that place. Right. 
<laughs> and then and then we can laugh about it, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's it. But the people who really like when I hear the anger in people's voice, people's voices when they talk about University of South Carolina, then I just I just go ahead and I disconnect myself from that. Like, whoa, wait, 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 you're actually angry for real? I'm like, oh yeah, we're yeah we we need to stop this because I'm I'm having fun talking about them. I'm not. I'm not actually mad or angry at anybody from University of South Carolina. My jokes are jokes, and and they're going to keep coming. But I don't dislike them as human beings, so I'm I, I'm good. Do you miss having a daily sort of platform in the form of a of a radio show? Three hours. It was three hours, right? Yeah, three hours, five um, days a week. Uh, I do and I don't. Um, there are times that I I really have a lot that I want to say. I want to contribute to what's going on in the world, the sports world, in the world at large. But there are a lot of times where I don't have anything to say. And I'm okay with not saying anything, right? And when you are in that business, whether you have something to say or not, you have to say something. Yeah, and uh, because they're going, the mic's going to be hot. You know, three hours a day, you got to say something. So whether you really have anything to say or not, you you come up with something because people want to hear you say something. And uh, so if I had a if I had an opportunity to do something every now and then and discuss the issues that I say, oh, this is a good one. I want to. I have something to say about this. Let's let's chop it up about this. I would most certainly do that. But, uh, the daily stuff, I mean, I, I, it'd be great to do that, but I can also not do that. And there's a pressure. You said, you know, you have to say something. You can't say something that is middle of the road. You can't say, yeah, I'm not really sure about this team yet. Or I don't know. It's more, you have to have a take, right? Yeah. Well, so, so that's one of the things that I, that I refused to do when I was on, uh, air. I, I refused to just, make up something. So, and then it's, this is the way I look at it. If I don't have a take, whatever, whatever I say to say, I don't have a take better be darn interesting or creative. Um, because you're expected to have a take. So the, the, the only, the only other option is not one and it better be a good, not one. Like if it's middle of the road, you better do a darn good job talking middle of the road because I refuse to just like say something that I don't, agree with or I don't really you know just for the sake of having a take I won't I won't do that and I thought that would probably ruin me when I was doing it but I didn't care because you know me I didn't I never felt like I needed to be anywhere and I, I, that's a blessing so I can I can kind of say what I want the whole sort of and I guess I'm talking in terms of college football um, conversation whether it's uh, ESPN radio Twitter social media whatever it's so and national media, I, I, I should put them in there because they're, I think, most prominent. It's so bipolar and, and emotional and such a roller coaster. And I think part of it is that pressure to have an instant take and in, instant judgment of whatever just happened. And it's like the two things that come to mind right now are the name image likeness and expanding the playoff to 12 teams. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. All summer long, uh, regarding the expansion of the playoff, it was um, college football is just so boring. It's just the same old thing every year, and the same teams playing for it all. And we have to have something to 
<clears throat> to keep people's attention and to keep people engaged. Well, that's one premise that I, I had a hard time buying was that people were no longer engaged <laughs> because yeah. college football has yeah. been pretty freaking captivating regardless. I mean, TV ratings, uh, even before this year, it seemed pretty dang good. You know, people are, uh, anyway, it didn't seem like, yeah. it didn't seem like interest was waning. Um, and then opening week happens and Alabama thrashes Miami, which has turned out to be a bad team. Mm-hmm. Georgia beats Clemson. And the take, the immediate take is, wow, we really need to expand the playoff now because this is just the same death march and there's no suspense at all. It's going to be Alabama again and maybe Georgia. And I remember reading that going, wait a minute, this is this is week one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then a couple, a few weeks later, Florida outplays Alabama. And really, the only thing that stopped them was the clock. I mean, they, they really, had they kept playing, they would have won that game. And right. it's, oh my God, Alabama is mortal. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, Alabama just smashes Ole Miss and it goes back to, up. Oh, it's Alabama and Georgia, the same old, same old. And then Alabama loses to A&M and it's like, oh, great, chaos. It's like, mm-hmm. I just, I wish that people were more even-handed and maybe just just sort of took a deep breath uh, before making these absolute sort of pronouncements. And then I want to get to name image likeness. I know I'm dominating this part of the conversation. I apologize. No, no, you're fine. But why? Okay. And I'm sort of in the middle on, on NIL. I, I can, you know, I'm, I'm sort of concerned about what some of the, you know, some of the unintended consequences, but I also don't think they have a leg to stand on as far as sticking with the previous arrangement uh, right. system. But why if – so, sorry, I'm going to go back to week one. And <laughs> a lot of the people who all off-season were, were saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with this name, image, likeness. Everything's going to be just fine. After week one, it's – see, the, the, the world managed to, to continue. The sun came up. Name, image, likeness is fine. There's not going to be any problems. Well – how about several weeks later when some of these quarterbacks who got these big deals are, are underperforming severely, including Spencer Rattler, you could argue DJ Uangalale, some others. Mm-hmm. How, how is that not a bigger part of the conversation? And I think it's because one of our problems, mainly with national media types, is you marry yourself to a, a take and a position so much that you're going to be far you're not going to be sufficiently inclined to be even handed in further in things that happen thereafter that might undermine that take. If there's new information, you're not trying to adjust because you, you dug your heels in so deep. Yeah. So you're just going to ignore it. Yeah. First, first congratulations for the smoothness in which you said DJ's name. That was impressive. (laughs) Um, It's taken a while. I was going to say, you sound like a person who was in the mirror saying it over and over and over. (laughs) But um, you don't have to you don't have to admit that or not. Uh, so, but yeah, but but to to your point. So the social media point to me is this: the the only media you got 
previous to this new social media area was the media that they chose for you, right? Mm-hmm. And and the the media that they chose for you was as slanted as anything, right? Whatever, like, and you didn't have a choice because the five o'clock news was the five o'clock news. You mm-hmm. know, the the George Michael sports machine, which I grew up on, is the George Michael sports machine. Whoever put that guy out there, whatever he believes, how he the style he's going to have, that's what you're going to listen to. Whatever. Um, that whatever they put out there is what you are subjected to period. So social media did a couple things to me. Uh, it, it gave stupid people a voice, which means now I have to listen to a, a bunch of stupid takes because everybody has one. Everybody has access to media. Media belongs to everyone now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got the people who are angry because they got to listen to stupid people. And then you got the majority who was used to liking what the choice was for them for media. So, I like the media outlets that that they choose because they fit in with the majority's mm-hmm. viewpoint, which I'm a part of majority. Now that the minority viewpoint has a voice and can be it can be very powerful at times, now they all of a sudden hate all media. It's like, no, you don't just hate all media. Right. You hate that now there's a voice against yours that that traditionally dominated everything. I think that's one of the biggest things with cancel culture, right? You know, it's it's the it wasn't cancel culture until the majority was also able to get canceled, right? Because no one, and I mean no one, was calling it cancel culture when Colin Kaepernick got canceled, right? They right. weren't calling it that. And and sadly, they called it the, the first time I heard it called cancel culture, and it stuck was when you had the, um, and I hate to go down this road, when you had the people in Hollywood that were serially raping people or sexually assaulting people, or you had the pedophiles, and, I, and, they, were, and they were getting canceled, and people were like, oh, I hate this cancel culture thing. And I'm sitting there like, whoa, whoa, this is a pretty pretty rough time to say you hate it when they're canceling nothing but very bad people right mm-hmm. now. Like, I mean, I like it, it didn't start out on the, on the ridiculous side, right, where where we may be canceling people for ridiculous things, it kind of turned into that, right? But it started in a very bad place where very bad people were getting canceled, and you heard all these voices giving it the name cancel culture, saying we need to stop doing this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, these people need to be canceled. And, I, and I'm kind of digging this right now because generally those people would get away with everything. And they, and they need to be canceled because you know who gets canceled all the time? Regular people that do bad stuff. We lose our jobs. We lose opportunities. And, and now these people with power can also be canceled because regular people say, Hey, the chickens are coming home to roost. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, because now you are subjected to the same nonsense that we we've been subjected to, right? Whether, whether it's somebody who applies for a job, they they don't look the right way. They're not the right height. They're not pretty enough. Yeah, maybe they're they're a little on the heavy side physically, and people have been canceled for decades for stuff like that, right? Um, you're a female, you're wrong gender, so you get canceled. You don't get the opportunities, but now you're we find out that you're serially raping people in order for them to get an opportunity in Hollywood. We cancel you, and people are up in arms like, "Whoa, aren't, isn't this what we want?" Now, again, it did kind of devolve into some things where you're like, "Okay, and that's a little ridiculous," but People didn't call it ridiculous at that point. They called it ridiculous at the beginning. And it was a point where the people in power were getting canceled and that was not normal. They weren't used to it. 
and they they fought back with these oh cancel culture's bad cancel culture's bad and I'm sitting here with popcorn going nah keep keep it going boss <laughs> keep canceling all of them we need to get some we need to bring things back to the middle where where everybody gets the same treatment so if if you do this then you're in trouble and you do it again it went it went a little haywire but I'm okay with that just like the NIL I I truly expected the NIL to start off a little rough. But I think we needed that rough start because you know what was bad was when they canceled the college football game and the college games in general because the powers that be were afraid that the kids were going to get an extra five or $600 a month. I mean, I'm sorry, a semester in the beginning. That's what one of the very early, earliest settlements was, was that every kid's going to get paid and they're going to get five to $600 a semester. And they shut it all down to stop those kids from getting five to $600 a semester. And now it turned into, okay, that's fine. Now they're going to get a million dollars because you couldn't let it slowly go the path that it should have gone. It should have, it should have grown slowly and it should have grown under control and with some, with some guidance. And now since you were so selfish that you rather cut the game off completely now we're in a space where kids are getting a million dollars that don't necessarily deserve a million dollars. And so I'm all for all the chaos. I'm all for the nonsense. I'm for kids getting, getting money when it's going to probably go to some old guy who, who never played some old executive. He's getting all that money. Cause that money's going somewhere. Um, it's going to the kids. Uh, I saw when the, all the walk-ons got paid, you know, all their school got paid for, I'm here for all that stuff. Um, cause you know what? Uh, and this is not a slight against Bryce Young at Alabama, right? Cause he's reportedly got a million dollars. He might not have been getting a million dollars, but uh, Bryce Young was getting paid loads of money anyway. And you know who wasn't getting uh, money? Those walk-ons over in Utah somewhere, they got all their school paid for. So everything's just above the table. It's on the table now as a, as opposed to below the table. But, but again, I'm here for all the excess money and all the excess problems because they asked for that when they wouldn't give the kids $500 a semester. Yeah. I remember, I mean, this was like when they finally did approve of the cost of living stipends, I guess, I don't know, 13 or 14. There was, I mean, there was a, people were in a tizzy over that thinking, Oh my God, this is going to be nuts because now the cost of attendance at Auburn is going to be, a thousand dollars calculated at a thousand dollars more than the cost of attendance at Clemson. So Auburn's going to have an advantage. Well, here we are, and uh, kind of no big deal. <laughs> Nobody's right, talking about right. that anymore. So you're, I agree with you that had had they had they long term approached this in an incremental way of progress and of acknowledging the realities both of. Market the marketability of these kids, and also the exploding revenues, the money grabs that were taking place as a result of all these uh, expanding TV contracts and, and the like. You believe you you, you don't in, you don't you don't uh, we don't we're not in, in a you don't have chaos here in 2021 because it's a more measured. Uh, slow-moving or, I guess, incremental progression mm-hmm. over the course of 15 or 20 years. Is that what, that's what you're saying? 
Absolutely. It would have been a more natural progression. It would have went from, let's say the first few years, it would have been 500 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe a few years later, it turns into 750. Then a few years after that, it turns into the kids get $1,200, $1,300 a semester. It would have, because we would have seen it, we would have been like, because we, we've already been okay with the fact that there's a lot of money here. There's a, you know, let's, let's share the wealth a little. And so the, that simple idea, we would have, we would have gotten over that hurdle. And then it would have started growing with as the money grew. But but the way they did it, they said, no, they get nothing. And then 20 years later, the money was so large. And then that's when the whole idea of sharing the wealth came. And then it's like, well, there's a whole lot of money right now. It didn't start out being that much money back then. So it could have grown with the money. And it would have been more understandable as as it would have come along. And it would have been not the schools paying the money. It would have been corporations paying the money. And the schools would always get their cut from the corporations if they would have done it the right way. So everybody would have been eating, so to speak. But now you just got a million dollars to Bryce Young. Alabama's not getting any of that million dollars because they were they were so selfish in the beginning that they did they just they had in no way wanted these kids to get any of that. I'm sitting there like, why why would you be so selfish? That wasn't even a lot of money. And again, the the licensing agreement would have had a cut to, to the universities. It wouldn't just be like, hey, we're cutting out the schools. We're going straight to the kids. No, it was a it was a deal that would have included the kids. But the but the minds that are involved, the mind, and to this day, I still believe it to be the same. The people making the decision are, are in my opinion, old and out of touch, and they're selfish. They've always seen it done one way, so there couldn't have been that controlled growth because it wouldn't fit with who's making the decisions. And And to me... That's the worst part of it, um, that these people in, in, in the, in the well, OK, let me say the worst part of it are fans. They're the worst part of it. And I hope they hear me right now and I hope they get upset. I don't care. You're the worst part of it, fan, because you are aligning yourselves with the power structure instead of aligning yourself with the people that are more like you, actually, which is the the labor force that has always been undervalued and underpaid, right? And you didn't side with them. You side sided with the power structure. These athletes aren't showing up getting something for free. These kids are up five o'clock in the morning. If you tell them these kids are working their tails off, then they have to still do the same schoolwork. They can't get a job part-time. These, these are all, this was the situation back then where there are kids at, at Clemson right now that are on academic scholarships because they had a 4.0 in high school. They get a full ride. They're not beholden to anyone. Um, they don't have to show up to any practices. They don't have to show up to perform. They have people yelling, spitting at them, throwing bottles and trash at them. They just get a free ride. That's a free ride. No athlete anywhere, at the, especially D1, D2, D3, NAI, no one's getting a free ride. No one. That, that's, you, are, you are trading your services for your bill. It's not a free, it's not a free education. It's not a free anything. I'm bartering. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll give you this really run, these really uh, fast legs if you pay for my meal. I'm giving you something. An academic has just showed that they're really smart. And they're saying, okay, we'll pay for all your school since you showed us that you're really smart. Do I need to show up at an academic bowl? Do I need to study every day? Do I need to do this? Is there a, is there a risk of injury? No. Well, that's a free ride. And, and, and the people, the fans didn't side with 
these athletes that show up and they hug your kids and they take pictures with your kids and, and, and they love, they smile for you and they go out there and they dive on the floor and they darn near break their necks. They're pushing their bodies to the edge. And you see these, these track runners that are running, you know, marathons and, and miles and miles and miles. And at the end of it, they're at the brink of exhaustion. Right. And they're doing that because there's a paw on their chest. And a lot of them are academically inclined. They could get, you know, uh, some aid and, and go to school, but they still choose to do that for that Paul on top of that. Right. And these are the people that fans went against to choose the power structure. Now I'm dominating this, but I'm very passionate about this part of it where, where fans could have said, Hey, give those kids an extra 500 bucks. Yeah. It may smoke snowball in the into something else, but it'll only snowball as the money grows. If the money grows, somebody deserves the money. Let's give them some of the money too, because I'd be darned if they're not earning it. And that's what, that's what made me angry about, about the way people looked at the situation. They only looked at, well, they, they don't deserve any money. All they're going to do is waste it. Now, as if executives and, and people at the NCAA aren't wasting money right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Earlier this season, uh, you know, at the first sign that DJ wasn't, you know, that he was struggling and then he wasn't, at the Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun level, it was, I thought people were far quicker than normal to, to start, you know, being mean spirited and up oh, that Dr. Pepper money and big stinko and this and that. And, uh, <laughs> over at, over at Oklahoma, it must've been like maybe the fourth game, third game, they played West Virginia and Spencer Rattler had, had struggled the week before against Nebraska. And then he was, didn't look all that good early in the West Virginia game, a lot of it was because their offensive line was playing really poorly, which kind of relates to here. But anyway, he throws a pick, and the the student section at Oklahoma is chanting Caleb Williams. <laughs> and yes, I know, I mean, Caleb Williams looks like the next superstar for sure. I am fully on board the Caleb Williams train at this point. But there was something dark in that and, uh, because it, you, you can't help but conclude that the logic is, oh, well, they're getting paid now um, through these endorsements, so therefore we can handle them more like pros where we can be quicker to boo, quicker to chant for the, for the backup when, they, when they're struggling. But the thing is, is that money is coming from not the school. It's not like these fans are paying – are paying the players, you know, indirectly. Right. I mean, it, the players, these star players are capitalizing on their marketability. And, you know, I think this is just the beginning. I mean, obviously things are going to change now that return on investment <laughs> is a, is a bigger factor because you would think that with some of these struggling players who are getting paid lots of money, some of the companies or whatever are thinking, hmm, we're not, or maybe, maybe that wasn't money well spent. So next time they'll pay like half. I mean, that's just capitalism at work, you know? That's what should happen. The, the people that, that should be booing Rattler are the corporations. They should be there booing, not the fans, because the fans should be like, see, I mean, that's kind of what you get. That's kind of what you, what you got. Right. But, but so, but I don't think we got the memo when it was decided that if people receive money, it's okay for me to be a horrible person. Right. You know what I mean? That's, right. that's, that's literally what it is now. Now I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the, the thousands of fans who, who, uh, who duly and truly support 
the athletes regardless, right? Whether they're bad or not, because there's a difference between criticizing an athlete and, and, and yelling at his dad because mm-hmm. he had a bad game. Right. I mean, there's a difference there. Like I, passionate fans are going to, are, are going to be upset and all that. And so I'm not mad at all fans who, and say, well, just because you criticize a, a, a school or a, or a player that you're a horrible fan, but there's a clear, in my opinion, there's a clear line that is crossed a lot. And they, they say stupid things like, well, they're getting paid. So they're pros now. Oh, so, so, okay. My bad. I didn't know that since pros get paid. That's why you're at the NBA games acting like an ass or NFL game acting like an ass. I, I didn't know that. I didn't get that memo. So it's okay to do that, to be a horrible person. And, 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 but, but that's the, that's the true connection. And now it's okay to be so hard on DJ throw, throw the Clemson family, that nonsense out the window, right? Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been saying for years, I've been talking to these athletes for years and I say, Hey, Clemson family, Sooner family, Gamecock family, the people who are in that family are the people who are in that building. Mm-hmm. That's it. There, there are no fans in that, in that Clemson family thing. Now there are some fans that fit the Clemson family motto. Like they can fit because they treat the kids like family. So there, that is true. There are some fans that can proudly say, no, I, I, I believe in the Clemson family thing, but more often than not, that's not, that's not a fan thing because they, they more often than not show themselves that that's not a fan thing. There are people who literally um, uh, treat these people like trash when they're not winning. Like they, they literally, and again, that's why I had to say not all of them, but there are people out there that literally do that. Like I'm just sitting there like, what? What just happened? Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone Griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. When you're 
ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. You know, on the NIL thing, I had Martin Jenkins on, uh, I guess, within the last year or so. And something I didn't realize we were talking about, because he was part of the Kessler lawsuit uh, yes. that, that that was ended up being combined with other lawsuits and leading to the monumental um, Supreme Court just absolute evisceration of the NCAA model over the summer. But um, I didn't realize that the origin of the We Too Deep song that he wrote, he he had, um, he had I think he was injured in 2012, or maybe it was 13. Anyway, he sat out, he had to sit out a year. So during that year, during that season, he wrote that song. And it turns into, obviously, a sensation that I think is still played mm-hmm. at home games. And he said it at last check, it had like 6 million views. But he said he at the time he could not, and I don't think even to this day can he uh, profit off of that since he did it under those old parameters. Um, and he he estimated I forgot what he said he could have made off of that, but it was a lot of freaking money right. that he should have right. made. Um, pretty wild because at the time in 2014, it was almost revolutionary to to suggest that an athlete should be able to profit off of something like that. Whereas now I think almost the large majority of people are like, okay, come on, let's just, let's just move on. Yes, absolutely. They should be able to get, the kids should be able to get something for that. Right. Right. That's and, sort of the and, sentiment. And, and, and the funny thing is, is we've always taught athletes that, Hey, you know, if you get injured, you better figure out what you're going to do in your life after that. So Martin <laughs> gets injured and he says to himself sitting at home one day, huh, maybe I can be a songwriter. And, and, and all of a sudden, that's not a good idea because, yeah, you definitely can't profit off of that. You can't do it. You can't do anything with that. The, the, the one that made me know that this was completely ridiculous, there was a couple, but one was when the Northwestern running back was majoring in theater arts or something like that. And a part of the program was that the students in the program in the summer had to go get work. They had to do these jobs. Um, which a lot of times, you know, they're menial jobs. They're working on in the, in the theater world, whether it's in production behind the scenes, where they get these acting jobs that pay a little bit of money. Um, but it, it's the principle that you're out there working and grinding as an actor. You're paying your dues, right? So he was not allowed to do that because he wasn't allowed to earn money because of who he was. And I'm sitting there like, that's that's about as far removed from sports as possible. And he's not out here running a football camp. He's and, and it's a part of the curriculum. Everybody that's in that program, that's a student in that program, has to do these things. So, again, he's falling in line with what everyone has to do, which is what we always try to treat them like everyone else, nothing special. And and uh, and he wasn't going to get paid a lot of money for it. It was actually going to be a lot of work that people probably don't want to do, but it was a passion of his. And he was not allowed to do it. And I'm just sitting there like... This is ridiculous. No one, I, I didn't see anyone of these people that are against the NIL fighting for that kid's right to, to be normal, 
Mm-hmm. And and it's like, well, I mean, they, they think of any reason they can for him not to be normal, but then they want them to be normal at the same time. And mm-hmm. it, 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 it just showed me how disingenuous the other side of this argument was. It was not about, it was almost like they were jealous of these kids and they were angry at these kids who go out there and darn near break their necks for them. And, and, but they don't want them to, to benefit at all from it. It, it, it's, it's a very, very confusing circle of events because you keep ending up right in the same spot, no matter what example. The, the punter that had a YouTube channel, uh, if a punter has a YouTube channel, he's, a, he's cooking, and he doesn't even have a lot of followers. It doesn't even matter. He, he, he can't do it. Even if it never gained traction and if it was something that he liked to do, he can't do it. And I'm talking about the old system. Like, how, mm-hmm. in what world does that make any sense? He's not on there giving punning instruction, and and he's making money off the. It was it was something completely unrelated to it. And, and I'm just sitting there like, how dumb are we that that we're so afraid of these kids, um, uh, um, coming up, so to speak, right, financially, that we're just cutting off everything. It, it's just dumb. Harold, what do you make of the problems right now for Clemson football? I don't think anybody anywhere envisioned that it would be anything like this this year on the, with that offense. Well, I'm a, I'm a visionary. Um, I, I don't know if you remember. I think I think it was you I talked to when I came out of um. I used to I used to take great delight in in going to practice as a as a media member when no one else could. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would really like I really enjoy smiling at people as I was exiting practice. <laughs> Um, and I remember one time you you came up. I, th- I believe it was you. You came up. You said, "Hey, what do you think about practice?" And I would always say something dumb like, "What did Dabo say?" <laughs> and then you would say something like, "Yeah, Dabo said this." Now, yeah, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> and then I walk I away saying, you, "That punk." <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But 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 uh, as you were walking away mumbling punk one time, I said, "Hey, Larry." <laughs> I don't know if you remember. I said, "Hey, Larry." That freshman number nine is the best player on the football uh, team. It was it was ETN. Uh-huh. So ETN didn't have it all together at that time. But I said that was the best football player. I saw one practice, one scrimmage, and I said that's the best football player on the team. And we, we know as a freshman he wasn't all together yet, but he was. I could see it. So this is what I saw with the offense when I went to the first scrimmage of the year. This year? This year. Oh, I, I, had some, I know some folks who went to that too. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I said, um, either our defensive line is the is the like best assembled defensive line in the history of the universe, or the offensive line is absolutely mm. horrible. And I and and so you can't always tell in practice because sometimes that's the case. Sometimes your defensive line knows what's coming and they make the O line look really bad, and it's kind of hard for the offense to 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 get stuff done early on because the defense knows what's coming and all they got to do is fire off the ball most of the time in the beginning of practice in the beginning of camp and they're going to they're going to do some damage but I say yo this offensive line is not good and and I mean nothing was going well they couldn't get a screen pass off the running back couldn't get a yard I could still tell that the running backs were talented but I'm like eh, it's not going to matter because they don't have the super dynamic talent that's going to, that's going to go above a bad offensive line. It's like, it has to be some things that happen. And I, I, so I told my buddies, it's, it's going to be bad because as a play caller, as much, as smart as our fans are, and I'm going to give them credit. We have some really smart play calling fans, boy. I'm telling you, 
um, <laughs> best in the country, right? But you can't call half the stuff that they're saying when you have no offensive line because it's literally, literally, if you watch the cut-ups of, of a football play, literally there's a different offensive lineman that's taking that play off, that blows the play up. Mm-hmm. And it might not be the same one every time, but it's it's – I'd be darned if it's not one of them and that blows the play up. But if you, if you scroll out and you look at the play, the play was going to be successful. If that guy had did his thing, if that one guy had just been an average blocker on that one play because the other four guys did it. So then the next play, a new four guys would do a great job. And that one guy would mess up and that screams inexperience. And, and that screen screams that they probably shouldn't be out there right now, but this is what it is. And the same thing with the, like something as simple as the wide receivers blocking, you know, they throw a screen and you go, it was there, but that wide receiver did not block very well. Mm-hmm. There, there were times where, where the pass pro with the running back, I remember going back to ETN where the play would have been just fine if ETN had stepped up and, and made a better block. And the, and the opportunity was there. But the fans look at the success of the play as the measure of whether it was a good call, which is about the dumbest thing you can do. Because the offensive coordinator job it's over when the quarterback drops back and there are options downfield. That means I beat the defensive coordinator. The same thing in the inverse with Brent Venables. Um, Brent would have the defense, the linebackers missing tackles in the backfield. That means Brent did his job. If, if Skowski misses a tackle for loss, Brent did his job. That guy was in position to make the tackle, and he missed the tackle. You can't get on a defensive coordinator for the defense being bad. Now, you can get on him as a position coach why his guy missed the tackle. That's a more directed approach of, of criticism for the coach. But from a coordinator standpoint, there are people open. And in the great C.J. Spiller run where he juked the Georgia Tech uh, guys, I always tell people that, Number one, that was a that was not a great offensive call because the defense was standing right in front of CJ. <laughs> right. Like they were there. They were there to make a tackle for law. He should have been tackled. Now, CJ being a mutant, <laughs> that that that's the only thing that saved that play. But that offensive coordinator didn't do a great job on that play. He was ta- they were ta- he was tackled for a loss. But people might think, oh man, you remember our plays that we called, like the play that CJ said? No, no, no. That was a dead call. You, you stick an inhuman person there, and he can just fly, go lift off into the air, and then just fly above everyone. Then yeah, but he was tackled for a loss, and he did what CJ does. But the whole description, like when you have an offensive line that's that's not experienced, because I don't want to call them horrible. They really shouldn't be out there in ideal situations. Then you combine that with a new crop of of wide receivers that are that are injured, coming off injury, young, doesn't really have the experience. Then you have new running backs on top of that. And you have an inexperienced quarterback on top of all that. And you have a new set of coaches yeah. on top of all that. Like all those things don't normally happen at the same time. You, right. you usually, you can have a veteran line like C, like uh, DJ had last year. He had a veteran line, no experience, but it worked because he had a veteran line. If you have Trevor Lawrence, or you have Deshaun Watson in a horrible offensive line. They're dynamic enough to make it work. Look at look at uh, Deshaun leading the league in passing with a horrible O-line because he's dynamic enough to make it work. What you can have is an inexperienced line and an inexperienced quarterback at the same time. It, 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 it's not possible. I don't care. An, a bye week doesn't make you better. Like, 
if I stunk before the bye, I don't get a week off to get better. <laughs> and then people, people, even the, even the analysts were sounding so stupid. Oh, you think after a, after a bye week, they come out better than it. What, did, did we buy new players during the bye week? <laughs> yeah, it's B, B, U, B, U, I week. <laughs> exactly. Like, is that, was it that type of bye week? Like what, what did buy, what did you guys get from the word buy? Like, we stink. The only thing that's going to save this line is games. After a while, they're going to just about see every type of front that's possible. Maybe six, seven, eight games from now, going into next year, something like that. They're going to they're going to have seen enough that they're going to feel better and okay, and then you can start opening it up. But right now, bro, it is what it is. Like they. Like it, they they ain't getting better weekly. They're getting better weekly, but not by some measure that's going to make any fan happy. That's that's just me. It, it, it's too many things happen, and then people have to realize how how fortunate we were that almost none of those things happened over the last six years. Yeah, like almost none of them. And if it did happen, it was enough to 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 cover because the other five things didn't happen. And so you had the five things great things going on and the one bad thing going on. We were able to cover and, 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 and to call out these coaches like this, oh my God, like these are the same guys that took over for the most part when Cole Stout that first game, right? And, and we, we had what we had and we, and we made it work. So we had this great run and now we're back to where we have a roster. We have some personnel that you kind of got what you got. Now they can begin to rebuild and, and take us back on that same progression that started out when we had a, a roster that wasn't so great. Now we can, okay, we've been here before. We've done this. We've rebuilt a team before. Let us do our thing. Let us get back to work. But, but the fans want to just fire everybody because, again, once, once the coordinator's getting paid two million, three million, whatever, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a direct correlation with how, how much of a horrible person we can be combined that, that, that follows the line of how much money they make. Mm-hmm. There's a direct correlation. If you give Tony Elliott a raise this year, I can be even more horrible. You, you know, know, so it's interesting. You know, the, the the argument, I guess, over one thing. You know, so it has to be one thing. It can't be. I mean, this topic, Clemson's offense, is is enough to break Twitter because it's closer to ten things than one thing. But yet, mm-hmm. people are still arguing over. You know, there's one camp. It's the play calling sucks camp and the other camp is the well they're not executing camp but I'll say this if it is hard to make the case when you watch this offense and I'm not I don't know if I'm talking about play calling as much as coaching they do not look like a well coached offense because of the things we're seeing at at offensive line at receiver, at quarterback, you just if I'm if if this is uh if this is Oregon, and I'm watching them over a stretch of six games, I'm I'm walking away going, gosh, they're not very well coached. Is that fair? I, I think it would be fair if this was a pattern over years. Mm-hmm. But what you have here is the opposite, right? So when you've seen guys that can coach, and you've seen this well coached team. And you have the same guys probably doing the same things, then you go, well, they've proven they can coach. 
let's say let's say I hired Dabo and this and not only did this happen in the beginning, but it happened in year two, year three. I go, yeah, they just don't look well coached. But if they look well coached for the better part of nine, ten years, then this one year comes along, you can't go well. They're not well coached. That means that um, some other things have happened. So in in my theory, this is just a theory because I I don't I don't uh, suggest to know because I would have to for me to know the answer would be me being just like the fans. I would have to have all this information that I don't have. These coaches have the information that allow them to 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 do whatever they do. Right. And when I used to go to practice all the time, I had similar information because I can be like, yeah, I know why they're not doing that because so and so is not very good. Like if if he does it, he can't get it right in practice. They aren't going to try it in the game. Well, they, they just, you know, <laughs> the funniest. But the fans th- don't know that. They just see the four stars or the five stars, and they think that they're supposed to do that right now because they have four stars or five stars. But but all things, all stars aren't created equal. So when that guy comes in, it can still be too soon for a four or five star guy. It can be too soon, no matter how great uh, he looks and all those things. It can still be too soon. Yeah, the you know one of the frequent criticisms earlier in the season is how come we're not doing more jet sweeps and horizontal outs and outside runs? And I'm like, have you seen the blocking from the receivers? Uh, yeah, it, and and I tell you, it really sort of crystallized for me the difference between this year and last year. That the, a lot of the mystery is eliminated when you go back and watch some of last year's clips because it's very simple um, how they attacked defenses last year and how they were able to be prolific for the most part. Um, Mm -hmm. Defenses geared their numbers to stopping Travis Etienne for obvious reasons. I mean, you've already said he's the best player on the field from, from the start of his career. So it's RPO, get the ball out quickly to Amari Rogers on the outside who I'm slapping myself in the face for not making more of his loss coming into this season because what a player. I mean, super explosive. Mm-hmm. So you get, so you're doing, you're doing three things. I mean, this was the pattern last year that made their offense go on one of those very simple plays, get the ball out quickly on a bubble your receiver, who was Cornell Powell, usually makes a block. You know, he actually holds a block. And then that creates a one-on-one matchup between Amari Rodgers and a defensive back. And more often than not, Amari Rodgers is going to destroy that matchup. So let me, let me ask you this. When, when we did that, when Amari Rodgers destroyed that matchup and took it to the house or got a great gain out of it, was that a great play call? I think it was just the smart. It, it, it's accentuating your strengths. And, and this is in this. That's that's a and great. And taking answer. what the defense gives you, which you know Elliot gets hammered for that. But isn't that what the large majority of of modern day college offensive football is? It's reading. Absolutely. You're reading. <laughs> Absolutely. Now check this out. If Cornell Powell doesn't make that block. It's all of a sudden a bad play call. It's two guys on it's it's one it's one on two instead of one on one. Exactly. And so it's a it's a bad play call though. That's the thing that fans miss. Now it's a bad play call because Cornell Powell didn't do his job. That was a horrible play call. Why did we run that play? Well, 
if Cornell does his job, you get Amari being able to be Amari. So a lot of a lot of the stuff that's going on now is guys aren't doing their jobs. Now they can't just postpone the season because guys aren't ready to do their job. A lot of events happened that were unfortunate for the roster that put these guys who are not ready in these positions, and we still got to play football. But the good news is it's sports, it's athletics, it's what happens, and it's what we do. We get the new batch ready, and we and it's big time football, so we gotta get them ready fast. And we and you guys are gonna get some heat because you're not ready. But at the same time, we still gotta work. We still gotta get you ready, and we still gotta do these things. And but for fans to go, it was a bad play call. I'm sitting there like, bro, y'all don't even know what you guys are talking about. And we have the we have the most intelligent fan base in America. They don't have any clue what they're talking about. And but but I cannot convince them that they don't have a clue, because on 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 the different social media platforms, they'll have it all spelled out. Well, while they're right, and and I can't reach through there and slap any of them to get their minds right. So I just sit there and let 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 them do what they do. And 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 the, and the next time I hear people try to explain away, and and, and this is where it gets touchy because I I, I like all. Oh, I like all the people associated with Clemson football, but you know, just like the players, people have their strengths and weaknesses, right? If I hear one more, the offense left with Jeff Scott, when, when, and and I want people to really hear this, get close to the, whatever device you're listening to, get really close to it and turn everything else down, get the kids out of the room and, and just, I want you to focus on my voice. Whenever you say the offense left with Jeff Scott, anybody that knows Anything about the inner workings of Clemson football immediately thinks you're stupid. And if you're listening to anyone that says that and you trust that they have some inside connection to anybody inside that building and they think that that person doesn't have the connection that you think. That person is a fraud and he's a liar. He's been making you think he has some sort of inside info. He does not. If you think anything like that, and that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not, you know, because... It is what it is. And at some point, somebody's going to say more than than me. And I can just sit there and nod like that, that Mr. Miyagi nod when uh, when Danielson kicked the old boy in the face. Right. And he had that little that little nod at the end. And I'm going to be like, I didn't say it, but I hey, look, <laughs> he did it. I do Stop th- saying dumb stuff. Yeah. You know, coming out of the Sugar Bowl, I thought, well, most of the criticism and scrutiny was of course directed to the defense because they were really bad that night got out coached gave up 49 points or whatever I thought it was also sort of a reckoning for the offense because you're in your last game with Trevor and Travis and Amari and Cornell and you are not equipped to go score for score in a track meet type of game and I thought at the time that maybe it was it was time for sort of a reckoning with the offensive system in a way, and maybe it was in need of a bit of a refresh. And but I don't know. I mean, it really seems like college offenses right now, largely, and uh, obviously that's not all of them. There's still some cool stuff. There's still some cool things going on at some places like Oklahoma, Coastal Carolina, Ole Miss mm-hmm. with Lane Kiffin, but. There's a lot of sameness mm-hmm. in college offenses today, and that's another reason. Another thing I laugh at is the people who say, oh, "I need to bring Tra- Chad Morris back," <laughs> because the reason Chad Morris was hired and the reason he was successful, because what he was doing then was different 
nobody else in the ACC, no other defenses in the ACC had seen that that type of approach. Well, guess what? You know, in the decade since, just about everybody else <laughs> has begun, has long since begun doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a mm-hmm. whole lot of variation with college offenses in general. And so I kind of think maybe we're not thinking of this broadly enough. Maybe we're just sort of zeroing in too much on Clemson's offense. Maybe what's going on with Clemson's offense is kind of indicative of a lot of offenses out there and that defenses have adjusted and the tempo stuff isn't as effective as it used to be. I mean, even Dino Babers is going away from it when that was his calling card. Um, the RPO stuff, p- defenses have adjusted to that too. Honestly, I look at the NFL, and there's more exciting, innovative stuff going on there offensively than college football. Do you agree with all that, that, that yeah. long-winded I, assessment? No, no. I think all those things can be true. I think the NFL took what college is doing, which no one was doing in the NFL. Now they're starting to do it, and the defenses are adjusting, right? Mm-hmm. But that breeds the change. Like if you go through the different eras of football, let's just focus with college football, it changed as those other things got stale. Right. And so now, now maybe this is getting stale and now the new thing is going to come in, whatever that is, we'll find out over the next few years. Right. Um, and, and so I think you're absolutely right. So, uh, the NFL was getting stale and they said, Hey, look what those boys are doing in college. Now it, it wasn't that it was better, but it was different. And the defenses weren't ready for it at the, uh, at the NFL level, because as a, as a teaching and as a, as a style, as everything, even if you just came out of it in college, they were, they were teaching you something new in the NFL, so you were preparing for something new. You weren't relying on what you did in college. You were doing something new, and that was stale, right? So then they said, hey, well, why don't we get these kids who are coming right out of these systems already ready to rip and run with it, and we just do it right here? And, and, and the defenses aren't going to be ready for it because it's going to take them time to catch up. We can, we can get some traction, and we can get some years out of this stuff, and they're just beginning. So they're, 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 they're like ripping and running, right? But so this is where I say all that can be true. And this can also be true. The personnel at Clemson is not very good right now mm-hmm. because if the personnel was good, let's say Trevor had another year. Let's say all the offensive linemen stayed. Let's say ETN stayed another year. Let's say that everybody, Amari Rogers stayed in there. Let's say everybody came back. It wouldn't look like this. So it wouldn't be that the offense is outdated. Because Amari Rogers would still be there, Trevor would still be there, ETN would still be there, Jackson Carmen and the whole line would have another year together, all the, and it would not be outdated, it wouldn't be stale, it wouldn't be any of those things because our players would be better. And we would be, you know, uh, what are we? We'd be six and zero right now with that unit, with that same unit that all could have come back for one more year because of because of COVID. Like they all could have came back for one more year, technically, right? I hadn't even thought about we, that. We wouldn't be having any of these discussions because we'd be six and zero, and we'd be destroying everybody. So that's why, again, I say, and, and Tony would be a great coach. And being Venables be, would be an, being a great coach. by LSU. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but something happened to us that didn't happen over the past nine or ten years. We had a lot of issues that a lot of people had during that time, and and on top of that, we had it all at the same time. Now, to me, the test and the testimony could be us resetting, recalibrating, rebuilding this new group batch of kids up. And if it takes a couple of years, then they're back in the playoff and then they're back playing for it all again in, in 
you know, year three from now or even year two if they grow up fast enough. Because I think, I think it can happen in today's game. I think it can happen um, that quickly. So that's the, to me, that's the potential testimony is these guys, they, they've already proven they can do, and they've done more with less. Like they've done more with less. So they, they, what happened to them? I think it's good too. I, I think I think it's good that they get to do some coaching now. Like, get some, everybody ain't Trevor Lawrence. Everybody ain't Etn. And and I, I'll say one more thing about um one of the other criticisms that they had last year that I kind of knew and I saw it with Will Shipley. Right, Will Shipley's body wasn't ready for that pounding. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't think his muscles had hardened enough. And I said that to my friends, like, look, man, when you're 18 years old coming out of I came into Clemson at 17. Like, I'm like, yo, your muscles haven't hardened yet. Like, you know, some people are special, but yo, I don't think we should be running him between attacks. I think we should be more creative, but the fans were crying for him to be the starter for him to get the ball. Is he talented? Super talented. But I'm thinking about his body. But, but that pressure of fans will get to you. Right. And this is just my opinion. The same thing with ETN. I didn't think ETN was built for that 30, but everybody wanted him to get 30 carries a game. He, to me, his body was still building. And if you give that guy 30 carries a game, 20 carries, 25 carries a game, his sophomore year, junior, like even those times, I'm like, he he just doesn't strike me as the as the solid figure that you want a guy to be that is carrying that type of load. And they were trying to manage him through a 15-game season. And I saw the difference when I was like, hey, look, I don't think they need 14 carries a game. We can win with him getting 14 carries. Let's do that. I lo- I loved every time he touched the ball. Don't get me wrong. I love when Will Shipley touched the ball, but I was like, ooh, like, ooh, he's running into a wall. That offensive line isn't giving him any speed. He's going to get hurt. And, and, and Go ahead. Sorry. You know, I was going to say, and he got hurt. Not that I predicted he was going to get hurt, but I think it was a it was an obvious kind of path that he was going down. But, but sometimes, man, you, you know, when, when you try to go against what you think, because all the fans are crying for this great talent. Trevor could have got like people could have got killed if ETN had been in there because it's pass pro, right? And then people would be mad at the coaches because they had him in there doing pass pro situations and, and then your all-star quarterback gets killed. And then you're like coaches have a, a larger responsibility than the fans can imagine. This isn't video games where when someone gets hurt, you just reset the game and start all over. You know, and, and, and fans gotta start considering that. Yeah, and I think it all goes back to what you referenced as the major glaring weakness in that scrimmage you saw at the 1st of August is the offensive line just has to get a lot better long-term, regardless of what offenses, you know, regardless of what direction offenses in general are headed in the future. If you can't, and I think the, the choice examples related to Clemson would be Georgia game. Georgia didn't sell out to, to, to bring pressure or to stop the run. They sat back with two safeties the, the, the whole game, basically saying, you can't run the ball, and we know you can't run it. Georgia Tech busted out the three three five and said, I, we don't think you can run it either, so we're going to sit back. NC State. I clearly saw, I don't know, like I saw – now I got to go back and look at it, but it looked like there were eight guys dropping back and eight guys rushing for Georgia. That's what it looked like against that offensive line. It looked, oh. I, I was like, is that three guys <laughs> rushing or is that eight guys rushing? It didn't matter. Like it didn't matter. They had, they were dropping eight. 
Yeah. In the in the in the gym, I'm sitting there like, what? Where are all these players coming from? Because <laughs> clearly, there's more players than five rushing on the offensive line, and they have all these players dropping back. Like, what yeah. the heck is going on? And, and like, <laughs> the three three five is is all the rage now. Um, you know, basically playing coverage and figuring out ways to assist with the run and all that stuff. But in the next few weeks, over that same period of time, Georgia faces Arkansas. Arkansas plays the same, I don't know, maybe 3-2-6 or 3-3-5. Regardless, they sat back for whatever reason. Georgia punished them, absolutely punished them with the run. Never even tried to pass Mm -hmm. it. Alabama plays Ole Miss. Ole Miss comes with the same stuff, the same sit back, make you run the ball. Alabama said, okay, (laughs) and just pulverized them with the run. And so regardless of what system it is, and where things are headed, Clemson, I think offensive line at Clemson and and everywhere is going to be more important than it's more important than ever when you have defenses that are basically daring you to run the ball. Mm-hmm. And so the it's magn when when you are not good on the offensive line, it is magnified times ten. And so while we've both agreed that the problems on this offense are closer to ten than one, if we're prioritizing those problems. Offensive line has to be a clear number one, right? Yeah, it it is. So I mean, it was because because one of the reasons is that is because <laughs> if you can't get it, to me, offensive line is step one. If you can't get past step one, you can't get to step two. Like you don't know, you don't know if everyone else is a true problem. If number one is a true problem, right? Because right. you can go if number one was better, you know what would make the running backs better if number one was better. So then you go, man, our running backs stink. Well, how can you tell? Because the offensive line is horrible. Oh, that's a good point. Because now if I fix the offensive line, I go, hey, our running backs aren't as bad as I thought. Well, yeah, because you fixed the offensive line. You know who's you know who's a great linebacker when you have great um, a defensive line? Linebackers that can't play in the NFL are great when you have a great defensive line. But you but but if your defensive line wasn't great, you'd be talking about how bad your linebackers were. Mm-hmm. Be like, man, our linebackers stink. Our linebackers look like all Americans, even though they are not that caliber talent wise, because the defensive line is outstanding. And and that's that's the difference in football up front to me is 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 step one. If you're not good up front, you don't really know how good you are on the back end. You don't you don't know. I don't know how good I am in the backfield if if uh, if step one up front isn't good. And and that's why I'm like you like to your point, that has to be the priority. Um you know, I, DJ threw for four hundred some yards when you had a def, decent offensive line, a solid, a solid offensive line. That's all he needed was a solid offensive line, not not a, a line full of pros, but a solid offensive line. He threw for four hundred some yards, so he's not even as bad as he looks. He just needs a little more than Trevor and Deshaun needed, right? He needs more than that. Um, I, it's it's it's, and I'm not bashing offensive line because my whole thing is. They don't have the experience. It's not like they suck totally. Like you shouldn't expect guys with. And there's a couple guys that that should be better. Don't get me wrong, but as a unit, offensive lines operate largely as a unit. They don't have the experience, and and so I hate to say they stink. So I say the offensive line is bad. I don't go that player is horrible. That player is horrible, because as a unit. I think sometimes it's gonna be six, seven, eight games. Well, you better just try to be. Seven and one, six and two during that horrible time, boy. You better figure it out. You better try to 
because you could very easily be two and six with a bad offensive line. So the, to me, that's the that's the the challenge is trying to hold this thing together, trying to beat Georgia Tech fourteen to eight. You know, trying to win in, against NC State in, in overtime. Like we look, we just got to figure this out until we figure this out. And and and, and to me, that the fans. The lack of patience bothers me because they brought us so much joy. This team is, this group has brought us so much joy. I'm like, hey man, look, do do y'all man, figure this thing out, man. I'm gonna go watch, uh, I'm gonna go watch Alabama play this week, and and I'm a, I'm a root for y'all, but I'm gonna take some joy in the beauty, uh, beautiful things that they're doing while we we figure out what we're doing. But y'all do y'all because y'all done brought me so much joy. I, I'm giving y'all some grace. I'm happy. And I'm angry, and I hate you play ball with me. Like I hate losing, but I understand. Well, we have a good example over at, in Baton Rouge of what it looks like when a coach takes his eye off the ball, you know, and really does regress and really does have his attention on other things, uh, you know, so soon after greatness. Which I don't, I don't get the sense that that's taking place. Any, anything of the sort is taking place here at all. I think they're coaching as hard as they ever have, and probably more so. So, yeah, I, I, and I and I, I'll say this too. Um, and we we've already said this. We've been very fortunate to not have any of these things happen, or not <laughs> any couple of these things happening. People don't. People got to get that. You do not go in the sport of football over a six or seven year period without some devastating things happening. You know, it, but we did that. And now with this happening, sometimes you got to sit back and chuckle, be like, hey, man, we, we had a nice little run. And now now we, we get to reset and we get to recalibrate. We get to rebuild. We get to do these things. And and there should be some fun in that. Right. We, we should be able to find some fun in that. But we are finding nothing but vitriol. Now, when you go to LSU, the things that I'm hearing and the things that I heard even a couple of years ago, culturally, I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. man, that's a that's a mess down there. Like yeah. they're, they're winning off of pure talent. Their culture isn't what's helping them with us. It was talent culture. It was, uh, uh, some luck. It was all these different things that, that helped us out because we're not, a, we're not, we don't have some of the same advantages that some of these other places have. We're just little old Clemson. And that's being real. We are compared to some of these other places, but we were very fortunate that a lot of these things came together and, and cause any of those, one of those things could have destroyed us by the same way. Um, so I, I think fans need to say, "Hey, I hate losing, but I get it. Get it fixed. Get the work, guys. Get the heck to work because I hate mm-hmm. losing. Keep grinding. You know, um, that offensive line. You know, I understand it's going to take eight or nine, ten games of them trying to see as much as possible. But next year we expect to see some improvement, and then next year we want to be in the playoffs. So we're like, if y'all get us in the playoffs next year somehow, we'll be happy with that. But y'all better figure it out, but not." you know, torch the place and tear it down. And like, I'm like, goodness, he's going to pay $2 million a year. I mean, he could shut up, <laughs> shut up. That has nothing to do with anything. If he was getting paid 500,000, he'd still be bad right now because of the situation. Like, just shut up. Harold, your phone has been buzzing. I'm sure you have things to do on this lovely Friday. So, I mean, I appreciate you giving me so much of your time and it's been wonderful catching up. Man, look, it's my pleasure, man. Anytime I get to to talk about this stuff, um, especially when I don't have to do it every single day, but I get to make some fans angry because I know it's going to be some people angry at me. That the ones that know, they're going to know, and I'm and I'm fine. Um, I, I, you know, so I, I'm going to blame you if I get a whole bunch of vitriol and stuff. <laughs> feel um, free, feel I, free. I have no problem with doing that. Um, 
but but look, I, I just want fans to understand that these people have a larger responsibility than they can imagine. And these kids don't enjoy losing. Sometimes you're not you're just not very good. I, I remember a time I tried everything to stop a guy and I just was not good enough. But I was darn sure darn sure trying and I thought I was doing okay until I saw the results. But hey, give these kids some love. Give these people who brought you so much joy some love. And um and, and and enjoy enjoy life, man. Enjoy the other things that are going on in your life. Give them a little bit more attention. Take a little bit of a, the attention off of Clemson. Let them let them get themselves together. Give your kids a little more attention. Give your wife a little more attention. Uh, your spouse in general. Give them uh, uh, do do that. Take take some of this away from Clemson while they get back to back to normal, right? Which is normal is winning championships, right? And and you relax and go live life. Wonderful words of wisdom, Harold. Thank you so much. Thank you, my man. Harold Coleman, preaching. <laughs> to all those who are mad at the play calling, coaching, NIL, he would like a word, <laughs> and he just had one. Appreciate him for sharing so much of his time with us. Also appreciate our very loyal sponsors for helping make this happen. Most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play every week. Everybody have a safe and enjoyable weekend. We'll be back next week. Cheers.